All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 24 is where we're going to be at. Um, we got pictures today that we're going to put on the screens. This is going to be great. Um, part two today of something we started last week, but we're going to start here. I grew up in this area, and um, my mom and dad both went to Washington State University, so I've been a Cougars fan my whole life. Anybody else out there? Probably why I'm so sad all the time, just kind of like lots of losing. Makes No, I'm just joking. Well, not that much of a joke. But anyway, uh, football was my favorite sport. I watched Cougar games my whole life. And I had probably watched 100 some odd Cougar games by the time I found out when I was 12 years old that the WSU logo actually has a W, an S, and a U in it. Anybody? Did that surprise anybody? Uh, we can put it on the screen in case you have no idea what I'm talking about and you're like not a sports fan. Yeah, I just thought it was a weird looking Cougar thing. And I was like, I don't know what the back of the head thing is going on there, but it's actually a W and S and U. And I was 12 and it was like, right. It was like, I've been looking at this my whole life rooting for it. And I was old enough to like know better. And I didn't. And that was like a mind blowing thing for me. There's actually like a whole like uh, movement. I don't know what you call it on the internet right now. Of I was so many years old or this many years old when I found out that and people do like videos of this and stuff. But anyway, um, there's a lot of people that do this. You've been looking at something for a long time. You missed the thing, and, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was there the whole time? I've been looking at this the whole time? And that may be what happened for some of us last week as we were looking at Exodus uh, chapters 19 through 24, is we've been looking at this passage for a long time. We've been looking at the Ten Commandments. We've been thinking about these things for maybe most of our Christian life, or at least familiar with them. And then we talked about the structure in the passage and how it was actually pointing not to the Ten Commandments, but to something else. And, and it was like, wait, I've been looking at this the whole time and missed all of this. So um, we're going to continue that study today through Exodus. Uh, it's going to build off last week's message. And if you weren't here last week. It's worth listening to last week's to kind of catch up, but I'll do a quick recap so you won't miss too much. Um, but start by understanding that we're going to be kind of flipping back and forth between Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 23 and 24. So if you got a white or a blue Bible, uh, it's easy because the font is small and it'll be page 35, 36, and 37. You just have to do this. If you got your own Bible, just know that we might have to flip back and forth for a little bit. So, um, Quick recap of last week. We talked first about the Bible being written as a very specific type of content. Okay, the people who wrote it wrote it on purpose in a certain sort of way. And we named that, not we named it, but smart people who know more than us named it ancient Hebrew meditation literature. And so we were like, yeah, that makes sense. The reason being that the Bible describes the type of reader that is the ideal type of reader. And, and the clearest point of that, we see it lots of places in the scripture, but the clearest one that we pointed out was Psalm chapter one, where it says, blessed is the man. And then it said, who meditates on the word of God day and night. So you're not just supposed to read this, download it. Yeah, I know it's there somewhere. You know, it's not like the tax law that somebody somewhere knows. You're actually supposed to read it and think through it. Meditation is the intention. So it was written in a way that causes meditation, okay? There are things that are not included that you're like, man, I wish they would have told me why that's in there. There's gaps, intentional gaps in some of this. There's extra details that you're like, why is that in there? All of that is written so that you would engage with the scripture and think about it and meditate upon it. 
okay? The only way then to have the scriptures not have their desired effect in your life is if you don't engage with them, if you don't think about them. If you give up and quit and throw up your hands and say, oh, it's too confusing, then you'll completely miss the point. Which is similar to when Jesus taught in parables. He was kind of like, if you want to think about the parables, you could probably figure it out. But if you're like, I don't get what you're saying at all. Let's go fishing. Then you'll probably miss the point. And so if you spend your time engaging your mind and wrestling with the words and thoughts and ideas in the word of God, it will be formational. If you just are like, next, right, then you'll probably miss it. So last week, we ran into one of these structural things that the authors built into the text uh, on purpose to make us meditate and think. And the name is, it's a literary device called a chiasma or a chiasm, some people call it, which isn't that important. It's chi is the Greek word for X, so it's like this crossing of ideas. But anyway, the only really important thing is to understand that there's a pattern of ideas here in Exodus chapter 19 through 24. And we identify this because we're reading through Exodus 24, and we got to chapter 24, verse 3, and we're like, wow, that sounds a lot like chapter 19, verse 8. They were like, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We're like, they said that before. What is going on here? Is that repeating? And then we read Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, when it started this new section of laws. And we're like, man, that, that section sounds a lot like Exodus chapter 9, 20, verses 3 and 4. So like these parallels were going on. And it sounds like God was repeating himself. And what we did when we dug into it a little bit is we found out it was this chiasm, this pattern, Okay. And the pattern went like this, A, B, C, B, A, okay? That was the literary pattern built into the text. And on the outsides, the A's were these narrative stories of Moses going up the mountain, talking with God, coming back down. Then there was this thing that tied these two A's together. They both ended with the people saying, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then we get into the bees, and the bees were these blocks of laws, okay? On the fur on end, it was the Ten Commandments, and it started with this idea of like, you shall have no other gods before me, don't make any idols. And then on the other side, Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, I believe, is it also was a block of 42 laws that started very similarly. You shall have no other gods in my presence, you shall not make any idols. And you're like, whoa, those are very similar. And then right in the middle, the one thing that wasn't repeated, verses 18 to 21, was this little story about Moses going to the people and saying, hey, guys, we're supposed to meet up with God, and you guys are standing afar off. And they're like, yeah, we're too scared. You actually go talk to God for us. And Moses is like, no, 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 guys, come close to God. He wants to meet with you. He wants to be your people. It's a test. And they said, no, thanks. And we ended that little story in the very middle with the people of God far off but one man going up the mountain to meet with God. And that one man was going to be the go-between between the people of God and their God. And that was the picture we ended last week with. This one little three-verse three story is the people of God standing afar off and the one man doing what the people of God should have done and now becoming the go-between between God and his people. And it was a picture of Jesus, right? Interesting, it was 1,500 years before Jesus said the thing, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, 
And we're like, yeah, we knew that. 1,500 years ago, there was this story of the people of God standing afar off while the one man went up to meet God and became the go-between. So the people recognize at this point, this one man is going to be their access to the Father. And that's where we ended last week. Okay? It's a huge deal, huge deal in a turning point in the book of Exodus. Okay, there's 40 chapters in the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 20. So this is in the ballpark of right in the middle of the story. Everything's going to turn here because the people of God were supposed to be called to himself. They didn't get there. They're standing at the foot of the mountain. They're scared. So it's, they stand afar off. And that one man goes up to meet God. And for the rest of the book, there's going to be a one man who's the go-between for the people. It's a huge deal. It's a little surprising maybe for you, if you weren't with us last week, to think that the Ten Commandments are not the point of this passage of Scripture. They're a part of what's going on here, but they're not the focus. This little story afterwards is the focus, the way that the authors structured the story. So that's all review. Are we good? Don't be confused. It's going to be fine, okay? Take a deep breath. If you're like, that was a lot, it's okay. We'll be fine. So let's keep going. We've talked a lot about chapters 19 and 20 because we were studying through, obviously, uh, which is the first part of our pattern. We got A, B, and C. Now we're going to come back down to B and A again. And if, if it helps you, I think in terms of, yeah, of the pattern like a mountain, right? And if we were climbing a mountain, chapter 19, B, chapter 20, C, at the end of chapter 20, start coming down, B, chapter 20, and then there's a longer block of laws, so it's actually chapter 23 and 24 is the second set of A's. But it's like we're going up and we're going down. And if you were to like take a hike and you were to go up over the top of the mountain, you would experience the same thing on the way up as on the way down, but the order would be flipped. Does that all make sense? Can you guys picture hiking with me? Right? You'd start down in the valley, probably by a river or something. You'd be in the trees. And then as you went higher, the trees would get shorter until the trees were gone. Right, You'd be above tree line, and now it's getting a little cold. And then you get to the top. right? And then you'd do the same pattern, but flipped on the way down. And so some of the things would be the same, but opposite. You would start above tree line. And you'd be coming down into trees instead of coming up out of trees. So it's a pattern, but it's the opposite way pattern. Does that make sense? Or you'd get into the trees and you'd be going down close to the river. And so we're going to see that today in the passage. So one of the things that we're going to have to kind of identify and keep our brain locked in on is if this is repeating itself and the pattern is we were going up one side or we're coming down the other side, are these things the exact same or are they flipped? And if they're flipped, if this is meditation literature, we're supposed to think about it. Why are they flipped? Can we do that? That's where we're going today. Nod your head. It'll make me feel better. Okay. Thank you, Ben. Here we go. Mostly today, we're going to be working with the two A sections of our pattern. We spent a lot of time on the C section of our pattern. C section. Haha, <laughs> I said that out loud. Uh, the C middle part of our pattern last week. Um, if you printed these two A sections out, chapter 19 and then the end of chapter 23 and 24, you would start to see a pattern in them. And the pattern goes like this. Both stories are narrative of Moses going up the mountain and speaking with God. So we start both stories with God speaking, okay? Actually, there's another little, it like, looks like a table. Can you guys throw that up there? 
It starts with God speaking, okay? And God speaks about similar things in both stories. Then Moses comes down the mountain, tells the people what God said, and they agree. Both stories, they say the exact same thing. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And when God spoke in both of those stories, he said, you're going to come back up and meet with me. So in both stories, there's going to be some preparation for the next time the people come to meet God. And then there's going to be a story of what happened when the people actually came out to meet God. So we're going to spend the rest of our time comparing Exodus 19 to Exodus 23 and 24 and see how these stories are the same and how they're different or flipped because on one side we were going up the mountain, now we're coming back down the mountain. So here we go. Symmetry in the passages. Let's start with the idea that God speaks. Both passages start with God calling Moses up the mountain. You can just leave this graphic up. I think it'll help people as we go. Just in case you were wondering, Moses goes up and down the mountain seven times. So if you're like, wait, Moses goes up the mountain? Moses goes up and, up and down the mountain seven different times if you count it out when he, God called him up, then he came back down to the people, then he went back up. Guess what number of times was the middle passage when he went up? The fourth one, right? So he goes up three times between verses chapters 19 and 20, and then the fourth time that he goes up is that middle C section in our pattern, and then he's got three more times coming up and down in the second one. Seven is the number of completion. We talked about that a little bit. I'm not going to get too much into it, but the symmetry holds all sorts of different ways. So God calls Moses up the mountain in chapter 19, and God begins by talking about how he brought the people out of Egypt. Okay, the story is looking backwards. Do you see that? It's like, this is where we came from. We came out of Egypt. Exodus 23, God doesn't start by looking backwards. He actually starts by looking forwards. He's talking about a land in both passages when he speaks, but in Exodus 19, he's looking, it's flipped, okay? He's looking backwards to the past where he brought them out of. Now in Exodus 23, he's going to be looking forward to the new land that he's bringing them into. So let's read it. Exodus chapter 23, let's start in verse 20. Here we go. 23, chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you on the way and to bring you into the place I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice and do not rebel against him for he will not pardon your transgression for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And when my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and your water and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come and I will make your enemies turn their backs on you and I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you and I will not drive them out before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possess the land. So God says, I'm giving you this land. Just like he started the last story in Exodus 19, and these are parallels again, right? With like, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now he's saying, I'm bringing you into the land of Canaan. 
It's your land, and by my authority, I'm giving you the land. I've prepared it for you, but it's going to take time, and you will encounter enemies. Man, this is one of those things I just wish wasn't in the Bible, right? You ever read some of those? You're like, man, I wish that wasn't in there. It'd be so much easier if he said, I'm going to snap your fingers, and your life's going to be fixed. He doesn't say that. The idea that God takes time to work his plans, and not only does he take time, but opposition and difficulty are absolutely part of the way he works, and they exist for our good, that's an idea that is hard, but it's in the scriptures. He tells his people here, your enemies are going to be in the land, and I'm not going to drive them out as fast as you want them to be driven out. How fast are you going to do it? Not as fast as you want. That's the answer, right? Not that comforting. But that's on purpose, and it's actually for your good. He gives us an explanation here. Many times when God doesn't work as fast as you think he should be working, you don't get an explanation. Doesn't mean he doesn't have one. Just means you don't get one. And I'm telling you, there's story after story in the Bible, including one about a man who was born handicapped, and also here in Exodus 23, where God leads his people through difficulty as a way of leading them to greater blessing than they ever wanted them for themselves. There's actually a story uh, in Jesus's life where this man was born blind, and the disciples were like, whose sin was it that this man was born blind? And Jesus is like, it's not anybody's fault. It's so that God may be glorified. His life is harder so that God's glory might shine through him better. Like that's what the process is. Back to the symmetry of the passage. Just like the 10 plagues of Egypt were a destruction of the Egyptian gods, God is warning the people not to fall for the Canaanite gods when they get there. Right? So do you see the parallels here on either side of the mountain? On the way up, he was like, hey, remember when we came out of Egypt? Remember how long that took? Remember when you're mad that wasn't fast enough? Remember when you were all complaining against Moses and be like, you haven't helped us at all. And remember when Moses was coming to me and be like, God, why didn't the, you're not helping? This doesn't make it sense. And then God was like, I know I'm going to have you do circles in the wilderness so you look lost so that Pharaoh comes after you so I can kill him in the Red Sea. All that stuff. Remember how you wish that would have been faster, cleaner, easier, more concise? It's going to happen again as I bring you into the land that I'm giving you, right? God loves process. Process takes time, right? This is change over time. God loves to do it. We see it over and over and over in the scriptures. And then just to keep the symmetry going, just like he told them very often, don't serve the Egyptian gods. He's going to say, on the other side of the mountain, when we go into the promised land, those gods will be a snare to you also if you don't guard your heart against them. Right? Do you, do you see how this pattern matches on either side? He's looking back and saying like, hey, the Egyptian gods were no good. The Canaanites are, gods are not going to be going, hey, it took you a while to come out of Egypt. It's going to take you a while to come into Canaan. Right? I, I went before you to bring you out. I'm going to go before you to bring you in. Do you see how this is going up the mountain and then it flips around and looks forward and it's come down the mountain? It's pretty cool. Now, back to the symmetry of the passage. God calls Moses up. God talks to Moses about, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt in 19 and then into Canaan 23. And then when Moses comes back down and tells the people what God said, both of the people, both in both stories, they say the exact same thing. They say, 
all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Okay, so that's the exact same in both stories. Like I said earlier, we're going to have to pay attention to the symmetry of this passage. Some of it will be the same. Some of it will be flipped. These are both the exact same. Now, move on to the next song, right? God speaks as they're the same, but one's looking back, one's looking forward. The agreement is both the exact same. Now let's go to the preparation. Both of these stories, there is preparation for the next meeting with God. In both stories, he, God says to Moses, go get Aaron, come back up, and I will meet you. And in Exodus 19, they prepare for this meeting by what Stephen taught, Stephen taught through Exodus 19 for us, right? Consecration. Do you remember that when we talked about it? I know it took forever to get through the Ten Commandments, so that was like two months ago. But, right, consecration was this idea of washing themselves with water, preparing their hearts. And Stephen walked us through that. They got their hearts right, and they washed their clothes with water, and they prepared themselves to meet God. Now in Exodus 24, there's another preparation to meet God. But this one is a little bit different. So let's look over at Exodus chapter 24, starting in verse Four, okay? Exodus 24, verse 4. We're going to start reading there. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord, okay? So just think that through. Burnt offerings and sacrificing of peace offerings of oxen. So they're slaughtering oxen and burning them on the altar of fire, like barbecue. Dead, bloody animals burnt with fire offered to the Lord. That's what's happening. Verse 6, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. So there's big buckets of blood. Gross, I know, but that's in, it, in here. And half the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So, uh, throwing blood on people is probably not like buckets of blood, right? But they're probably all gathered together. There's a large group of people. They used to do this thing where they would take like a bundle of sticks, kind of make it like a broomish kind of looking thing, and they would dunk it in the bucket of blood, and they would throw it, and it would kind of splatter or sprinkle across the people. So that's what I imagine is happening here. Or it could have been buckets, right? That would have been weird if you're standing in the wrong spot, like way worse than SeaWorld. But anyway, um, like he's throwing the blood on the people. It's weird. It's gross. It's different. You're probably dirty, sticky, like what is happening here, right? We talked about the symmetry of the passage here. On the way up the mountain, they were washed in water. On the way down the mountain, they get covered in blood. You see the difference there? If you read through 19, which we don't have time to read this morning, unfortunately, but you can do it on your own, right? They washed their clothes in water. They prepared for three days. They were like, no, we're going to do this. Now on the way down the mountain, in the second half of our pattern, they're no longer washing their clothes in water. They're being sprinkled with blood. So we said some things are going to be the same. Some things are going to be different. This is way different, right? And it's way different on purpose. And I'm actually going to come back to that idea 
but I want to look at the last way that this is different, okay? So the preparation is way different. In Exodus 19, it's with water. In Exodus 23 and 24, it's with blood. And outs come. That's what you get for having an uneducated preacher. Sorry. Should have gone to a mainline denomination where they required me to have a doctorate. That's, that's what you should have done. I can't spell. Sorry. Anyway, here we go. Verse 9, Exodus chapter 24, verse 9. This is the biggest one. Don't miss this one. Everybody hang with me. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, so those are Aaron's sons, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people, and they beheld God and ate and drink. Now, what is going on here? Talk about weird little stories in the middle of nowhere. Just like, oh yeah, and then we saw God and ate with him. That's it? Two verses? Like, that's all you're giving us here? Like, what do you look like? Like, where was it? Like, what did it feel like? Like, what was going on here? It's like, oh, he's standing on like this crazy clear, like sapphire thing. Like, what'd you do? We ate. Ate what? Not going to tell you. Right? Like, come on. Like, what did it taste like? This had to be amazing. Like, they ate and drank in the presence of God. You saw God. What did he look like? I mean, there's so many details here that I wish we had. We got none of them. And we could spend a lot of time talking about what we wish we knew. But I don't want you to forget the pattern in the text. The last time the story went, God called Moses up, talked about the past, coming out of Egypt, went down, told the people, said, the people said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then they prepared themselves by washing themselves with water. And the end of that story was what? Chapter 20. Go back for me. Verse 21. The end of that story was the people stood far off. Okay? Now, what's this story? What is this outcome? And they beheld God. Is that different? It's way different. It's the opposite, right? All the preparation, the heart condition, the washing of the water leads to the people standing afar off now we have this little story about the one man doing what the whole congregation couldn't do. This one man now being the go-between between the people of God and their God. The one man doing what the people should have done. And now on the backside of that, we get preparation not by washing of water, but by sprinkling of blood. And now because this one man is the go-between, Moses leads them up and they don't stand afar off. They behold God. They see God. That's amazing, right? Do you see the difference? Do you see the pattern that was written into your Bibles thousands of years before Jesus ever came? Right? The idea that being sprinkled with blood is the access to the Father that we need, that having a representative between us and God, one man is the access that we need, that the end of that story is that the people behold God and eat and drink with him. 
This is crazy to me. Because if I was writing this, I would spend lots of time talking about what it looked like when I ate and drank with God and beheld him. And they don't spend almost any time on that. But they do spend a lot of time describing the conditions that led up to people being far from God and the conditions that led up to people meeting with God. It's almost like they were like, hey, we're not going to tell you what it was like to hang out with God. We're going to tell you how you can go hang out with God. Right? Any fishermen in here? If, if, if I was like, I caught this huge fish, and you're not a fisherman, you're going to be like, can I see a picture? If I was like, I caught this huge fish, and you are a fisherman, what are you going to ask? Where were you? Where were you? Right? Yeah, probably the weight, right? Because you know stuff. But you're like, where were you fishing? Why? I want to go there. I would like to experience what you expect. I want to catch the fish. that you, Like, I want to do that. And we're Christians. That should be what we're doing here. Like, we should want to meet with God. And so we read this and we're like, man, I wish there was more detail in the story. And if you think about that, the detail is not in what it looked like when they met with God, but the detail is in the structure of the passage that points to the sprinkling of blood and the one man being the go-between that led people into the presence of the Father. It's like, you go meet with God. I want to tell you what it looks like. I want you to meet with God. Text seems to be less concerned with telling you what it looked like and a lot more concerned about telling you what didn't work and what did work so you can avoid what didn't work and walk into what did work. Amen? Uh, Worship team, come on up. If you think you can just clean yourself up, if you think you could just walk into the presence of the Father, if you think you could just try really hard and scrub, 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 scrub it up, dub your life, or just be like, yeah, he understands that I'm still dirty, you're going to end afar off like the people did. You cannot wash yourself good enough to come into the presence of the Father. But if you recognize that there's one man who did what you should have done, and you understand that it is the blood that makes you acceptable to the Father, then you'll start to see God. Then you'll start to have access to the Father. And this is not a new idea. This is on page 36 of your Bible. There's at least 700 pages in here. And within 30 pages, he's like, this is how you get to the Father. It sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Some people are like, the Old Testament's so different. Is it? Or did right at the beginning, the authors be like, hey, everybody, pay attention. There's a huge pattern. We're not repeating ourselves for nothing. We're repeating ourselves so that you know the one man and the blood are your access to the Father. Before you read the next 670 pages, you should know that. And that's why we're here this morning, because we believe that one man in his blood gave us access to the Father. Let's pray.